Let's get it going again for another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And uh, these days of Husker Harvest Days, of course, we always start out by taking it live and direct to our location right in the middle of it all with Joe Gangwish. Well, thank you very much, Dirk. We are live from Husker Harvest Days at the Rural Radio Network Broadcast Center. We are on the west side of Main Street here at Husker Harvest Days. We've got a whole host of people, even some excited uh, high schoolers here that want to say a few words. Where are you guys from? We're from Milford. From Milford. Are you enjoying Husker Harvest Days? Oh, yeah. Yes, we are. <laughs> you got you some good bottled water here while you're here, right? You're st- oh, yeah. staying cool? Okay. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by and saying hi. They were excited to be on the radio, Dirk. Shaley, tell us about what's coming up at midday. 12-13, Mr. Mark Ricard will be over from the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Of course, there are neighbors here at Husker Harvest Days. Not too long of a trek for him. At 12-19, we'll have our Lieutenant Governor, Mike Foley, on. 12-45, Newsmaker. Joe, I'll let you... uh... The uh, National Association of Resource Districts out here every year at Husker Harvest Days. They induct some new folks into the Hall of Fame for the NARD, so we'll have some of them with us at 1245. And then coming up at 117, FSA Acting Director, Executive Director, uh, Mike Sander will be here. And so he'll be visiting with us at that time. Paul, the weather's great, man. Yes, you know, we have a nice breeze out here right now, so the heat, what we are feeling, it's really not too bad. Luckily, it's a dry heat in the month of September, but really ideal conditions, and it looks like our weather should be about the same for both today and tomorrow. A little bit of a breeze and temperatures in the low 90s, uh, topping out late in the afternoon. As Paul mentioned, going to be another warm day today, but we've got the water to cool you off, so stop by west side of Main Street is where you can find our building at Husker Harvest Days. Dirk, another great day. We'll send it back to you. Absolutely, and uh, good to see it's not a washout, and everybody's going to be able to get along fine at Husker Harvest Days, as we are almost exactly at the midpoint of the 40th anniversary show. Let's go over to our sports headlines. We have Jason Jorgensen. Big changes coming to Big Ten football schedules, especially to Nebraska's schedule. The uh, Schedules in the future were released in starting in 2020. Nebraska will not play Iowa as the last game of the regular season. The Huskers also will no longer play on the Friday after Thanksgiving, something that has been done since 1989. We're throwing all those traditions away, huh? A little bit. Folks have mixed feelings on that. Give you the latest on that. Also, finally, some... Decent news for Nebraska men's basketball. Uh, 6'9 forward Isaac Copeland was cleared yesterday to be eligible for the entire season. So as Tim Miles, as I think, makes his last stand as coach of the Huskers, he will have no excuses this winter, uh, barring some injuries. Also, the Cleveland Indians, uh, they go for their 21st win yeah. in a row this afternoon. Now, that would tie a record, right? Well, they've tied the record now in the yeah, American right. League. The all-time record is 26 in a row. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay. So right. they're in uh, rarefied air. They really are. Okay, thanks, Jason. Bob Brogan on business. U.S. stock indexes are hardly budging as banks and technology companies give back some of their gains from earlier in the week. Also, um... House Speaker Paul Ryan declining to say whether a tax overhaul Republicans are trying to write won't increase federal deficits, so stay tuned on that issue. We certainly will. Thanks very much, Bob. Jason, Joe, the whole crew, today on Midday. Time to check out our ag weather, and what better place to do it than live from our Husker Harvest Day studios with Paul Perkins. Hey, Dirk, we do have uh, some very nice conditions out here at Husker Harvest Day. It's a bit on the warm side, but we do have a nice breeze and also low humidity counteracting 
A lot of that uh, heat that's going to be expected for today. Some sunny and warmer conditions on the way for the next few days. A little more wind out of the south today and tomorrow as we see some low pressure strengthen over western Nebraska and South Dakota. Also could see that possibility of scattered thunderstorms late today and tonight. Not expecting a whole lot out of these rains if they do get going. Just some weak disturbances passing through. Scattered late day and nighttime thunderstorms will remain possible as we head towards tomorrow. A few storms could be on the strong side, but most of them should remain below severe levels. Tomorrow, not looking quite as breezy as we were earlier anticipating. Friday, though, does look like it will start being a bit on the breezy side. So the next couple of days, things not too bad. Winds out of the south at 10 to 20. Actually, pretty good conditions for Husker Harvest Days and not too much dust blowing around. Some cooler air arrives over the weekend. We'll see some small chances for thunderstorms continuing to linger as the cold front sweeps southeast through the region. Some drier and warmer weather will return early next week for Tuesday and Wednesday as we see a return of a high-pressure ridge. In our long term, our temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas expected to be warmer than normal through September 26th. And above normal rainfall also in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas from Monday through September 26th. The weather factors driving the markets today, including some mostly favorable conditions across the Midwest. Also improving conditions in the Delta and no significant rain for the hard red winter wheat area. And some rain expected across the northern plains. Some showers associated with the leftovers of Irma will continue to linger for another day across parts of the southeast and lower Midwest. A significant weather pattern change expected across the west. We'll see markedly cooler air in the west starting tomorrow. And we may even see some accumulating snow at the higher elevations, but otherwise the northern Rockies and Plains looking at about one to three inches of some moisture over the next few days. Warmer weather will continue to expand across the southeast and midwest, and that will be favorable for their maturing crops. The Midwest continues to have mostly favorable conditions for the maturing and early harvest of their corn and soybeans. No damage in cold weather indicated in the next 10 days. Some heavy rain with Tropical Storm Irma affected the southeast U.S. in the last few days. That's delaying their field work, and a slow recovery is possible as they expect some drier weather in the next few days. Across the southern plains, it's mostly favorable with some warm and dry conditions for planting the hard red winter wheat crop. The soil moisture continues to diminish with the fair weather pattern. Some rainfall will be needed to ensure some favorable pre-winter development, and there is some chances for needed rain to occur late in the period, but right now it's a bit uncertain. Conditions are improving in the Delta. The Delta crop area saw some rainy and breezy weather that's unfavorable for their mature crops. It's also going to likely further delay the harvest, but improving conditions are expected in the coming days with some drier and warmer air. And across the northern plains, those conditions favorable for filling and maturing of corn and soybeans, but some wet weather that's expected later this week looks to be unfavorable for their mature crops and harvest for a time. And just a quick reminder, don't forget you can always find weather anytime at krbn.com. Back to you, Dirk. All right, thanks very much. Paul Perkins live from Husker Harvest Days. And a quick reminder for you that your ag weather is brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Live from Husker Harvest Days, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Getting a chance to talk with Mark McCardell from Nebraska Farm Bureau, Vice President. Busy time. You just came back from Canada. We kind of want to talk a little bit about the importance of trade, and you really get to see it firsthand. And I think sometimes folks think Canada, trade, really? Right, absolutely, Susan. Uh, it was a great trip, and it's just really amazing to 
be there with the governor as we uh, work on selling Nebraska products to Canada, as well as on these trips, we are asking them to uh, do business and come to Nebraska and do business. And, and when the governor is on those types of trips, coupled with the partners uh, like Nebraska Farm Bureau, it really does have a strong impact. And right now the governor is in Japan. That's where Steve Nelson is with Farm Bureau, talking trade once again and, and showcasing it back to Nebraska. Right, you know, Japan's such an important country to be in consistently. Uh, they import about 80% of their food products to Japan, and they are a real uh, a high value customer, uh, especially in the meat products. They value the higher cuts and the more expensive cuts. And so they're a tremendous partner that we need to maintain that relationship with. You look at the grounds here at Husker Harvest Days, and every aspect of every booth you go to has something to do with agriculture, which in turn eventually has something to do with trade. Right, you know, you look at the planters and you look at all the tillage equipment and that all of that equipment is there to help us as farmers uh, produce a better product uh, more efficiently and eventually that product has to uh, go somewhere, it ends up as food uh, on people's plates all around the world and uh, we need to make sure that uh, the exports are there to uh, continue to uh, use the products that we produce. You guys have been busy with Farm Bureau talking trade, talking about that with folks here. What are maybe some of the misnomers that people, as you have that discussion? Well, you know, in Nebraska, 80% of the economic uh, money that flows through Nebraska is, is from agriculture, and 30% of that actually gets exported. And so when you think about uh, 30% of something that we grow uh, in a geopolitical situation, if something falters just a little bit, uh, maybe a 5% impact on uh, someone purchasing a product actually could have a 10, 20, 30% uh, effect on price. So it's, it's extremely important. And for some of those rural towns that maybe live or die in the end. Right. You know, we, we you know, reports come out every day or, or often now we're watching the markets and just a slight percentage change in, in uh, production changes the market. Imagine if we lose a major, a major exporter, what that would do to markets. For you at Husker Harvest Days, what's going to be some of your favorite interactions that you've had? Well, you know, it's just uh, certainly in the Farm Bureau booth is, is meeting our members and uh, uh, seeing them and, and really asking them how, what's it like in their neck of the woods and kind of getting the farm reports. And, and it's, it's just fun to uh, see all the young people out uh, looking at agriculture and it's exciting to know that uh, uh, we're part of a, a big scheme here in agriculture. There's a lot of FFA kids and that's what Wednesday usually entails, but it's nice to know that these kids really do get what happens not only on the farm but globally and how it's going to affect their future careers. Right. I mean, they're watching. I mean, they're, they're wanting to know what is in store for them. And we need to make sure and remind them that there is a spot in agriculture. And, and uh, it's not just production agriculture, but it's all sectors of agriculture. And certainly all the equipment and the vendors here gives them a pretty broad brush of, of what they can be involved in. Well, Mark, thanks so much for stopping by to talk to us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Their booth, by the way, is located right next to ours here at Husker Harvest Day. Stop on by. They've got some great information that you can take home with you. From Husker Harvest Days, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Welcome back to our coverage from the 2017 Husker Harvest Days event. I'm joined now with Lieutenant Governor Mike Foley, who's... You've been walking around Husker Harvest Days. Tell us what you've seen so far. Well, it's just an amazing show. You know, this is the premier uh, agricultural show for the state of Nebraska, and folks in Grand Island have just you know, done a beautiful job of putting the show on every year. I mean, this year we got good weather, too. 
It was uh, starting to heat up a little bit. It was, it was nice and cool this morning and breezy, but uh, temperatures starting to rise. But still, it's very comfortable. And big crowds out here enjoying a lot of food and a chance to see uh, the latest in the farm equipment and talk to a lot of specialists about various dimensions of agriculture uh, away from the farm. So it's, it's good to come out to this show and just kind of catch up with what's happening in agriculture, what are the current challenges that our farmers and ranchers are facing, and from my perspective, what can state government do to be a good partner with the, with the agricultural sector? Because uh, Nebraska is all about agriculture. That's what we do best. And uh, we have a long, proud history in agriculture, and that's going to be the, our dominant industry going out into the future. So it's good for uh, senior officials in state government to come out here, stay abreast of the latest trends in farm technology and so forth, and again, to see what kind of policies, issues we should be addressing that will help them to grow and uh, prosper. You mentioned the downturn in the agriculture economy, and one of the things that helps that out is trade, which is a topic we should talk about today. The governor is currently on a trade mission in Japan, but trade is becoming a, a bigger and bigger issue right now. Uh, talk about the governor's trade mission uh, and, and trade in general here in Nebraska. Inter international trade is absolutely crucial to agriculture. The governor's led a number of uh, major trade expeditions to uh, Canada, throughout Europe, uh, China, and now Japan for the second or maybe even the third time has been to Japan. Japan's a huge partner with us. They're buying about a billion dollars a year of our agricultural products. Uh, a major, major purchaser of beef, pork, corn, wheat, eggs. Uh, they love the quality of what we're producing here in Nebraska. And in fact, the, the, the best restaurants, the best hotels in Japan are serving Nebraska agricultural products because they recognize the quality and their customers want that quality. Uh, we're working uh, with the U.S. Trade Representative to try to get these tariffs in better position. If we get those tariffs down a little bit more, level that playing field just a bit, we could sell even more to Japan and other foreign markets. The governor's been in regular conversations with President Trump and the U.S. Trade Representatives to see what we can do to get those, those tariffs back in line. Because right now, that's, that's the only thing that's really holding us back is the tariff situation. But with farm commodity prices being low, this is where we've got to go. We've got to go overseas to sell our products, and that's what we're doing. That trade is such a big issue, especially after a, a political uh, campaign season where trade became a buzzword. What have you heard from Nebraskans? What, what do they say about trade that, that directs you and the governor in well, your conversation? Well, you know, it's very interesting. The TPP trade agreement, which uh, got bashed during the campaign by all the candidates, uh, really would have been very, very good for the agricultural sector. But Trump doesn't want that. He wants bilateral trade deals. Developing those trade deals so that agriculture is front and center. We're going to be very blessed with uh, Greg Ibaugh now on board, moving off to Washington, D.C. as the Undersecretary for Agriculture, because he understands all these issues. He understands how important this is to Nebraska. He's a farmer himself here in Nebraska. He's been uh, nominated by President Trump to the Undersecretary of Agriculture. His nomination will now go to the U.S. Senate for confirmation. Given his expertise and his great stature in the world of agriculture, I'm sure he'll sail right through the Senate and be serving us in Washington, D.C. very soon. Midday on the Rural Radio Network, it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Big Ten will increase its number of conference games in the opening weeks of the season in 2020 and 2021. Week one will feature three conference games, and there will be four in 2021. There also been a big change in rivalry week, with Iowa meeting Wisconsin and Nebraska playing Minnesota the last week of the regular season each year. Iowa and Nebraska had closed out the regular season against one another since the Huskers joined the league six years ago. Nebraska also will no longer play on the Friday after Thanksgiving, starting in 2020. Well, Nebraska Athletics announced yesterday some very good news for the Husker men's basketball player as Isaac Copeland received a waiver from the NCAA and is immediately eligible for this upcoming season. 
Copeland, who transferred from Georgetown to Nebraska in January, received a medical redshirt after playing at just seven games a year ago. He will have two years of eligibility remaining beginning this year. Now, this was a process that took several months, but Copeland says he never lost hope. Oh, I was still confident. Um, I was under the impression I wouldn't find out until probably the day before the first game. So that's how I went to this looking, uh, approaching the situation. So. Once uh, I found out today, we got we haven't even started official practice yet, so mm-hmm. you know it's, it's a big relief, and I'm happy. Copeland was a four-star recruit coming out of high school and had average double figures playing for Georgetown. The Huskers open up the season on Tuesday, November seventh, with an exhibition game against Northwood. They'll start the regular season for real on Saturday, November eleventh, at home against Eastern Illinois. Derek Mason has the Vanderbilt Commodores off to their first two and zero start in his coaching tenure. It's a perfect beginning that's about to be tested. Commodores host 18th-ranked Kansas State, the first of four straight games against teams ranked in the top 25. After the Wildcats, Vanderbilt plays top-ranked Alabama at 24th-ranked Florida and then hosts 13th-ranked Georgia. Mason insists he's only focused on Kansas State, a team he expects to be in the top 10 before the end of the season. The amazing Indians go for their 21st straight victory when right-hander Mike Clevenger, who hasn't allowed a run in his past three outings, bases off against the Tigers this afternoon. Cleveland can tie the 1935 Chicago Cubs for the second-longest winning streak in Major League history. The record is 26 in a row, held by the 1916 New York Giants. And Brandon Moss is homered in three straight games as the Royals get set to face the last-place White Sox this afternoon. Moss hit a big grand slam in yesterday's win and has nine RBIs in his past three games. Kansas City is still currently three games back of the Twins for the second and final wildcard spot. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly clear, though a slight chance of thunderstorms through the night tonight. Lows in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska State Senator Bob Christ is leaving the Republican Party and launching an independent bid for governor. Christ kicked off his campaign at the state capitol this morning, saying he'll find nonpartisan ways to reduce property taxes while providing adequate funding for public education. He says he's becoming an independent to try to restore a nonpartisan attitude in state government and promote more debate on issues. Authorities have arrested a woman who's been accused of driving drunk when her minivan crashed off a northwest Nebraska road, fatally injuring a six-year-old girl. The state patrol says a woman was arrested Sunday on suspicion of vehicular homicide and driving under the influence. Court records don't show that she's been formally charged yet. The patrol says she lives in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. The accident happened Saturday, north of Shadron in Dawes County. The patrol says a minivan she was driving went out of control and rolled, injuring three adults and three children. Two children are flown to a Denver hospital for treatment, and the patrol says one of them, a six-year-old girl, died there on Sunday. Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher spoke to her colleagues earlier this week about the important role that STRATCOM at Offutt Air Force Base played after the terror attack on 9-11. Using a screen on the wall of the command post, they worked to identify which planes had been hijacked, knowing that finding these dangerous needles in the haystack of America's commercial airline industry could be the difference between safety and catastrophe. President George W. Bush spent two hours in an underground bunker at Offutt following the terror attack. 
A Kansas State Board of Education panel is recommending a new licensing system to reduce the shortage of teachers in the state. The Kansas Education Department said there are 90 elementary school teacher openings in Kansas and more than 80 vacancies for special education teachers. A teacher vacancy committee has recommended an elementary licensing process that would require a district to identify people with great potential to be a teacher. That person must have a bachelor's degree and be enrolled in an approved elementary education preparation program. The process to become a licensed elementary school teacher would take two years. Board member Janet Waugh says the board hasn't acted on those recommendations because it didn't have the latest teacher vacancy data. Three Kansas lawmakers who represent parts of Leavenworth County have scheduled a public forum to discuss a proposal from Tyson Foods to build a massive poultry processing complex near Tonganoxie. The forum comes amid opposition to the plant from Tonganoxie residents. The $320 million plant is expected to bring 1,600 jobs to a town of about 5,000 residents. Breaking stories, weather, and traffic alerts of all kinds. When you follow us on Facebook and Twitter, search KRVN or use the links on our homepage. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Live from Husker Harvest Days, I'm Joe Gangwish. We're at the Rural Radio Network Broadcast Center, West Main Street, if you want to stop and see us while you're at Husker Harvest Days. And every year, the Natural Resources Districts, they announce their Hall of Fame inductees at Husker Harvest Days, and we like to visit with them live on the air here during our midday on a Wednesday. And with me we have, I guess if you're in attendance too here in the building, from, from my left to the end, we have Ron Fleece, Hall of Fame Natural Resources District employee uh, from uh, Gage County. Also, uh, Gail Starr is with us, Hall of Fame NRD District supporter, and then Dean Rasmussen, Hall of Fame NRD uh, board member. So we want to welcome you guys. Congratulations on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Thank you. You're welcome. We're uh, you. very appreciative of this uh, award that we've been given, so uh, we hope to make the best of it. <laughs> well, Ron, let's start with you. Tell us about being involved with the NRD in Gage County for all those years. Yeah, I, be, I became an employee of the Natural Resource District in 1972, and that was the first year that NRDs were organized in the state of Nebraska. Uh, prior to that, I worked for the Nebraska Natural Resource uh, Commission as a watershed specialist. So my main project with the NRD was to work with watersheds uh, in our NRD. And in 32 years as their manager, I helped build 67 flood control dams within the Lower Big Blue NRD. Many of those was, help, was to uh, protect the Big Blue River. And one of my biggest uh, proud moments when we had 17 flood control structures in Swan Creek watershed, which helped protect sw uh, the uh, Swan Creek watershed and, and protect DeWitt and Beatrice. And we saw the benefit of that uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, when we had 20 inches of rain above that. So uh, it's, been a, it's been a good career for me, and I'm just happy that I was able to be a part of it. Well, we're glad to have you with us. And Gail, let's ask you this question. Uh, I understand you were there to kind of help organize, get the NRD started from the beginning. Tell us about that process. Well, I was, Joe. Uh, I went to work for the uh, Soil and Water Conservation Commission in 1966, I guess it was, 
and uh, quickly became involved in the promotion of the NRD uh, concept, which was uh, uh, adopted by the legislature in 1969. And subsequently, there were numerous amendments, some of which were passed and some of which weren't, <laughs> that uh, the implementation actually took place, as Ron said, in July 1st of 1972. So they've been around for 45 years. Uh, I was involved in the uh, implementation process, the beginning of the operation of the districts, helping them get going and uh, eventually, we established uh, five different uh, financial programs uh, with provided state of Nebraska funds for projects within the uh, various NRDs around the state, and I was uh, responsible for supervising those five programs, so I worked very closely with uh, the NRDs in that operation. Um, and I was always very impressed with the uh, quality, the dedication of the employees of the districts. They were uh, a very dedicated, knowledgeable bunch that really did a good job. And I think Nebraska can be really proud of the uh, establishment of the NRDs, which have been very successful and are, frankly, unique nationwide. There's just no another like it. So. Yeah, that's right. It took a lot of work to get things going uh, from the beginning, didn't it? By a whole lot of people. Yeah, that's, that's right. Another gentleman that's been there uh, since the beginning and is uh, used to reside in, in, in North Loop, Nebraska, but now in Hastings, uh, Dean Rasmussen. Dean, uh, 42 years being associated with the... 45. Tell, oh, 45. 45. Tell, tell us about your 45 years. Well, it started in uh, Sioux City when we voted the NRDs in, and that was uh, quite a deal with all the SWCDs come in from across the state some poor and a lot of them against it but we got it pushed through which was a blessing the best thing about it that i can remember is uh, some of the guys uh, really campaigned against it come around eight ten years later and says thank heaven you guys had some sense and got that put in a lot of times when i'm going home from board meeting i wonder to myself just uh, what would nebraska look like if we didn't have the nrds to control the water in our natural resources. Yeah, all right. In, in the time we have left, we have about a minute left, but I want each of you to answer this question quickly. Tell us about the main benefit you've seen from NRDs in, in these years since they've been organized. Well, I think as far as I was concerned, the, the main benefit is that what we did at the Natural Resource District, every respect of natural resources, whether it's groundwater, flood control, uh, putting terraces on the land, conservation. so. My endeavor, I think, what we did is going to be there for many decades in the future. Whether it's a flood control, land treatment, grass waterways, it's there for decades in the future in protecting our natural resources. Gail, how about you? I, I think that the NRDs were established and they got the authority to do the jobs that needed to be done. And I think one real key to that was that we retained local control by each of the 23 districts because they're all different. They've got different needs, different uh, reasons for doing what they're doing, and, and I think that uh, was a very good thing, the local control. All right, Dean, you get the last word. Okay. <laughs> I think uh, what really I remember mostly about our last 45 years is when this tree planting deal started, the Laura Loop led the lead. We planted more trees than anybody. 
And then, of course, now today they're starting to tear some of them out, too. But 45 years is quite a while to have yeah. a tree go. Yeah. Well, congratulations again to, to all of you for being inducted into the NRD Hall of Fame. Next, we get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a back and forth for the cattle. Down yesterday, up today. I mean, it just seems like we're on a seesaw in the cattle. Expectations are running high that since packers haven't really stepped up yet, that they were going to have to, and it should be at higher money, although the cutouts were lower. But their profit margins are still pretty good, so th- that anticipation uh, showed up today in the in the futures market, and uh, really haven't heard of anything uh, spectacular. Sounded like the uh, auction that took place today, uh, auctions that took place today were uh, kind of mundane. So nothing uh, really to uh, point at from the cash side. Uh, except for the uh, cutouts being lower again. Uh, but we did have a nice rally and uh, finished out uh, uh, higher all the way through feeders and the uh, live cattle. The live cattle performing a little bit better than the feeders today, but uh, maybe due to a little bit higher grain prices uh, today. Over in the hogs, uh, gosh, cash week again. Uh, the cutouts were higher at noon, and that did manage to bring back uh, the uh, nearby October contract to close just fractionally higher. The rest of the months, uh, for the most part, lower. So uh, we continue to be plagued by uh, weak cash and uh, really uh, a fairly weak uh, cutout. So mixed today, cattle higher and hogs lower. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal. At Great Plains Commodities, call 800-328-0134. From Husker Harvest Days, I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and I've got FSA Acting State Director, Executive Director, Mike Sander with me. Mike, a lot of stuff happening this time of year. We'll just start off by talking about what a lot of producers have been asking about anyway, those ARC PLC payments. They, uh... Get set to start coming out here in October, about a month from now? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, in October, the USDA will be in a position where they'll start releasing the ARC PLC payments for different commodities that earned a payment over the past 12 months. At this point, we don't know what the rates will be. Uh, they're doing a final calculation process, and we'll start the payment process in October. In addition to the ARC PLC payments, we're in a position to start releasing the CRP annual payments. The CRP program is a conservation reserve program that pays an annual payment every October to producers who are put their term into long-term conservation. All right, and I know, um, like I said, this is a very busy time of year for you guys. You've got something, it seems like, coming up every month. Another big uh, time for November, fall acreage reporting as well. Right, we just completed our acreage reporting July 15th, and we turn around, we're right back to another acreage reporting period. November 15th is the deadline for fall seeded crops, uh, perennials, legumes, and producers basically who have grassland report their fall crops on July, excuse me, November 15th. Uh, the positive side of grass certification is we can put perpetual certification dates in place, and a producer does not have to repeat a grass certification on an annual basis, provided there's been no change to their farm operation. 
but any producer who wants to check to see if their fall grains are certified, just contact the office with our farms or administrative they carry. Well, you just mentioned what I was going to ask about. I know you always encourage them to contact their local FSA agent and the office, but also, is there some place they can go when they go do that fall acreage reporting, uh, kind of an easy way to do that for them? Yeah, producers who do have computer access at home, at home now, we do have the Farm Plus opportunity, and if they have a level two account, can start doing a lot of their activities for FSA from their home computers. Otherwise, they can check any USDA gov type site and find out what the next office is, and they can verify what the certification process is. Uh, with the new technology we have with agri certification, a producer can certify their crops from any county, and it gives them a lot of leeway and a lot of flexibility in which to certify their crops. Absolutely, and then finally coming up in December, uh, those county committee election ballots come out. Right, FSA is very unique. We're the only agency within the United States Department of Agriculture that has a county committee elected by producers in the community. Each county or each area is divided into local administrative areas, and once a year, a member of a local administrative area is up for election. The nomination period has passed, but we're in a position now where people that were nominated are eligible for committee will be on the ballot for election. The ballots will go out in November, and ballots are due December 4th back in the office where they were mailed. If a producer thinks they're in an area that has an election, contact the office to verify if they have not received a ballot. All right, very good. And finally, you know, you're out here making the rounds at Husker Harvest Days. What have you enjoyed so far while you're out here? There's been a lot of activity at Husker Harvest Days, a great turnout. Uh, enjoy visiting with producers and getting their viewpoint on things. It's been a great turnout. All right. And, um, you know, going back to just one final question here, all of this stuff again, just contacting your local, they can offer any help with any of these things as we move into a lot of these deadlines. That's correct. One thing I'd advise producers to do is please keep in mind that we need to be aware of any changes to your farm operation. Our payments are based through a direct deposit platform. If you have changed banking or changed anything in your farm operation, please let us know as soon as possible so we can record those changes and ensure you don't have delays in your benefits. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What did you like or dislike, I guess, about price action on the grains today? Well, start with the good news. Soybeans, obviously, uh, you know, they're going to come come here uh, with fantastic price action post-report. So after we got that, I guess many would proclaim as a bearish number, uh, the market's done nothing but, but rally, um, really substantially. We're back above the high from the open yesterday and essentially kind of back closer to the highs where we were last week. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see this thing make another run up to say 970. We do have the 100-day moving average sitting right above the close today, so keep that in mind. I don't think that's a great indicator to sell into, but um, still feels like if we can run through that level, we'll we'll put some pressure on that high from, from a week ago. And, and then it's about the producer. I, I you know, I think they would be in the market to be selling this bar, the the board on these rallies, but uh, they've been incredibly tight-fisted on soybeans all year long, and I, I think it maybe takes a, a move to 10 to get a, a big boatload of sales moving. Now, the corn, what was your thoughts about that? I think it's really just cross-spreading. Uh, you know, corn is obviously kind of t- caught in the same, same uh, I say, disaster of a report that, uh, that there were the beans were yesterday. They're not getting that quite of upside price action. I think a lot of that has to do with wheat. We saw uh, wheat markets rally here, and I think really take that spread, which was at 70 cents December over uh, December corn, December wheat over December corn. Now it's at 91. I, I assume maybe we see a dollar on that at some point, but uh, again, I'm 
pretty encouraged by the fact that one, December it's 18 corn still sits above 390 with all the bad news we've seen. And two, uh, the market did not flush on that report like we saw in cotton, where uh, you got a really bad number on the cotton side and, and the shorts really bailed. In corn, it feels like the party might be kind of full of the bus of the sh- full of shorts already. And where that additional selling is going to come from, probably the farmer, but it's still pretty early. I, you know, talking to producers up here in the Midwest, I mean, we're, we're not going to, I don't think they're going to be shelling corn until the first of October uh, up in these areas. Maybe in the central part we get get started in a couple of weeks, but with moisture still sitting in around the 30% range and some rain on the way, it might be a while. And that, that'll push bean harvest back as well. So that, that could be something that, that gets uh, the spreads tightening up a little bit. I'm not saying a panic for supply, but something that will get the, the, these wide carries to come in a little bit and maybe get the basis to, to, help, to help the farmer out as well. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com. And, of course, in wheat, a pretty neutral report yesterday, and it's moving higher again. Quality remains a premium in some areas as well in the wheat market. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. 